Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all were really, really good at school? Was there any of you that were really, let me see your hands. I, so I got to know who you guys were. Really good at school. Did you, did you notice that only one in each couple raised their hand? We marry opposites, right? Uh, so, so I've got some folks really good in school. You know the kind of kids that, uh, that, that made A's on everything. I mean, when the test came back, and, and were, Kristen, were you really, really good at school? You were that one? And, and, and of course, here's Kristen's paper. She made a 100 on her test, right? And uh, yeah, y'all know those kids, right? And so again, let me see your hand. How many of y'all were those kids that, dude, I mean, if you didn't make 100 on the test, the teacher like felt like a total failure, uh, you know, on that. Let me ask you another question. How many of y'all were not those kids? All right, there you go. My hand's up on that one there. And so, so Judy, were you like one of those hundred, you know, you just made good grades? Oh, you were average? All right. And uh, all right, in there. So, so uh, on that, let's suppose that there was a, a super hard test, uh, a super, super hard test, all right, that, man, and, and, and you were going to fail. How many of y'all were not good at school? Which one of you was good at school? You were the one good at school? All right. Rita, yeah, 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 you probably were. You just don't want to brag on, right? So, so obviously, Rita, you are, are going to score 100 on this impossible hard test, and poor Steve is going to be scratching out a C or a B, all right? He's, he's worked probably, all right? I'll even give you a B minus, C plus, all right? Trying to scratch that out. But, but let's say it's a really, really hard test, and, and I mean, and, and, and the results of this test are your eternity, I mean, you score 100, uh, you know, it's got to be perfection. You got to score 100 on this test to get into heaven. Anything short of that, and you're, and you're not. So Rita uh, is obviously going to score 100 on the test, right? All right, let's just say, for example, she's going to score 100 on the test, and, and, and Steve is not. Uh, Rita, would you be interested in letting Steve have your score, and then you taking his score, how many of you who are the smartest ones in here, how many of you are like, oh, I always met Kristen? Do you love your husband? You love your husband a lot? Would you give him your, we're not even talking about eternity now. You know where I'm going with this, but would you be interested just in life, taking your 100 and, and, and giving it to your husband and letting him that, and then you take his sorry score, because you know how hard he has to work on a test, right? You wouldn't do it, right? That, but that's what love, that's what Christ did. There was a test that required perfection from God the Father. How many of y'all have blown perfection? <laughs> many times we've blown perfection. Even you people that get 100, I saw you when the teacher handed it back and y'all got a 99, right? Anybody remember what the kids who always got 100, Gavin, you remember what those kids did when they got a 99? <laughs> They were like devastated. They got a 99. And then they went to the teacher and they argued with the teacher. Why did you take that one point off? My answer is right and yours is not. Julia, was that you? Yes, I knew it was. <laughs> and yeah, oh, dude, they were not accepting that 99 for anything, man. And it's like, so imagine a test that requires 100. It requires perfection and you cannot get it. But it determines your eternity. A 99 and a half, you go to hell. 98 go to hell. And you go to the same place in hell that people who scored a 68 go. 
Someone who got a 50 go because it's perfection or it's nothing. <coughs> but God, in his mercy and in his love, he sent someone who could score a hundred. And that one that could score a hundred was Christ. And Christ came down and he lived a righteous life, which is what we're going to look at with his baptism today. Because we, we skip that a lot. Sometimes we think that, oh yeah, Christ was God. He came down. He could have just, why didn't God just have him die on a cross and raise up three? He had to live a righteous life because he had to be able to impute that to us because we don't have a righteous life. And so God sent Christ to come down on this planet and score a hundred so that you 99 and a halfers, because you know you guys are the ones that are the hardest to get saved because you got all that pride, right? We just make, us C minusers, we just make fun of ourselves and y'all laugh. We're the class clowns, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, let anything less than perfection, dude, you need the perfection of Christ. And that's what he came to do. And when he went to the cross, what he did is he not only gave us his righteousness so that God would treat us like a perfect person for eternity. But all you who aren't willing to give your husband your perfect score because you don't want the results of his score, Christ took the results of our score. You understand? He took the results of our score. He took all the wrath that we deserve from the sin, God's full wrath that we deserve for the sin that we've already committed, that we're committing now, because you're still thinking about lunch, or thinking, oh, dude, it's 1045. He's never going to be done. He didn't get started till this time. Man, what time does service go? That's sin, man. I'm just saying, but I'll be done when God's done. And, and, and we probably won't get that far today. But all the sin we've committed in the past, all the sins we're committing now, and all the sins we'll commit in the future, Christ took all of that wrath he took your score. God treated him like us so he could treat us like him. And that's the beauty of it. You're nowhere without Christ. And so where we start today in looking at Jesus's ministry, we're in the book of Luke and we're in Luke chapter three. We're about done with John the Baptist. And what happens is Jesus now comes out of the woodwork. Man, he's been up in Nazareth. He's been at, we haven't seen him since he was 12. When, when he got left behind in the, in the temple and was teaching, then he went back to Nazareth knowing he was the son of God, knowing that he was the Messiah, knowing that he knew scripture, knowing that he was, he was going to die on the cross for everyone. And, and from, from uh, 12, uh, 18 years, from 12 all the way to 30, we're going to learn next week. Man, it, it, he, he held all that inside and he waited for God's perfect timing to come on the scene. And now he's fixing to come on the scene because John the Baptist has now come on the scene and told everyone, everything you know about religion, everything you know about God is wrong. Every God, everything you know about God is wrong. And, and, and I'm here to tell you it's wrong. And if you admit it's wrong and repent and be baptized in repentance, saying what I know is wrong, and, and I don't know what's right, but I know this is wrong. If you come and do this, there's someone who's coming whose shoe I'm not even worthy to tie, untie. I'm not even worthy to be a slave and wash his feet. He's going to come and tell you everything that's right. And boy, is it going to be different than what you've been taught in your religion. And so... That's what John did. He prepared the world. And as everyone was getting baptized and other people were coming out to see, as JJ shared with you last week, 
Jesus gets baptized. And let's take a look at this. Uh, by the way, Jesus' baptism is uh, found in Matthew chapter 3. It's found in Luke chapter 3. It's found in Mark chapter 1 and John chapter 1. If you want to look at all of, of what is said about Jesus' baptism so you can get all of the facts together. I'm going to try to put a lot of that together. But the point of his baptism is we're going to learn that God is continually pleased with Christ. That God is continually pleased with Christ. That's what you're going to see from the baptism. That what Christ is done is God says, yep, this is a 100 on the test. You're going to learn today where God says, this is 100. This is perfection right here. This is the score I'm looking for. And if you want to be in that, then you can be in that. Otherwise, anything you provide is going to be short of that. But man, through my mercy and love, I've provided you a score that's going to pass, which you can't come up with. So God is continually pleased with Christ. That's what we're going to learn through the baptism. But then through another little passage of Scripture, we'll see that he's pleased with us only if we are eternally in Christ. So again, here's the exchange. God scored, Christ scored 100. You scored a 99.9. That's not good enough. And you fail. So God allows us to have what Christ did in perfection, and Christ, don't miss this, Christ took our imperfection and paid the price for it. And now the word of God says he's exalted above anyone else. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. But don't miss what he did, and don't miss why it's so important that you have that exchange with him. So it's only if you're eternally in Christ that God is always pleased with you. We'll see this. So the first point I'd like to make, and this is God is continually pleased with Christ, and it's in, found in his baptism. It says, now when all the people were baptized, now everybody didn't get baptized, he's talking about all the people who God drew out there. Again, can you imagine starting a church way out west of town in the middle of the woods, and have a guy out there that's got camel hair, he's got, he's got maybe sandals if he's got those on there, he doesn't comb his hair, he doesn't even get a haircut, he doesn't brush his teeth, doesn't do... Man, he don't take a bath. He doesn't take any time out for anything. He doesn't even go have lunch dates, man. Terry, instead of lunch, you know what he does, dude? He's out there preaching the word of God, and all of a sudden he grabs a locust off the branch. And then he keeps on preaching, man. That's why I was eating locusts. You know why he didn't change clothes? He didn't want to take time to change clothes. He didn't let anything get in the way of his mission because he knew he had a short period of time. And out in the middle of the woods, did he have a marketing campaign? Hey, Steve, did he send out little flyers? Did he have billboards? Go see John the Bee. You know, Johnny B out in the wilderness. Here's directions out here. Type in this on your GPS and go see Johnny B. No. Who brought people to him? God Almighty, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about attracting a crowd because it was popular, because it was... Man, in fact, the, the people who came because it was popular got in the way. All he wanted, the same thing that Christ wanted were the people who the Holy Spirit of God was drawing that were ready to say, I surrender my life. I'm giving everything I know about myself to everything I know about him. What do I do next? Because that was what was required to have what he did on the cross imputed to them. And so when all the people who God had finished drawing out there, and again, others followed, the Pharisees. In fact, again, J.J. brought up last week, when the Pharisees came, what did he say to the Pharisees, y'all? He said, you, what do you call them? Brood of vipers. Do y'all know what a brood is? Right, I'll give you a hint. You brood of Terry and Fernanda. 
What's a brood? Yeah, a group of snakes. That's what it is. Bunch of baby snakes. It's a whole dentist baby snake. Now, I know y'all don't have, you aren't, you aren't baby snakes, right? But you brood, you baby snakes. So if they're calling them baby snakes, who's he saying their dad is? Satan. Who brought you out here, you baby snakes, sons of Satan? I know it wasn't God that brought you out here. You know what? You came out here to kind of kind of get your ammo and figure out how you're going to, you know, keep your power that you're getting ready to lose. But in reality, it would have been nothing better than for him to get saved. And some of them did like Nicodemus, you know, but the Holy Spirit brought people out there and they were baptized. Their baptism. Hey, when we get baptized. It's right. What does it look like? A cross. Go down. That represents Jesus's what? Death and burial. And then do I leave you down there, Ethan? No, because you're not a fish. And plus, Jesus did the third day rose again and it represents you dying to your old life and rising to live a new life with christ that's what our baptism represents their baptism was everything you know about god is wrong be ready to open your heart and listen to this guy who's coming who is the christ that was their baptism of repentance so everybody was getting baptized there was a ton of people out there and jesus walks up and, and again did jesus have a do you think jesus had a big old halo on his head did he have a Jesus shirt on? Did he have a bunch of Jesus, you know, have an entourage with him going, Jesus, Jesus? No. How did he come out there? In obscurity. In fact, Matthew tells us that John at first didn't even recognize him. He hadn't seen him. You know, you know the only other, when was the only other time that Jesus met John, y'all? In utero. <laughs> no, that, ever since they've been, we don't even have any biblical records that they ever even met. John was living in the wilderness down in Galilee. Jesus was living way up in Nazareth. And they didn't have FaceTime, y'all. Can you believe that? No FaceTime. And, uh, you know, I can talk to your cousins. They probably had never even met. God was preparing each for their individual missions and, their pro and what they were supposed to be doing at that time. John was busy living in the wilderness. And guess what? John... You ever think about this? He was probably an orphan. How old were his parents when he was born? Dude, they were sold. They weren't even supposed to have kids. And they have a kid, and, and they were out. He said that God said he was going to live in the wilderness. So possibly John lived out in the wilderness on his own. He was the official bush man, you know? If you can imagine, bushcraft man, that was John. And he was doing nothing but working on the mission that God had given him. He didn't worry about advertising bring people out god brought people to him to hear the word of god and many were getting baptized in that and christ shows up and he didn't really recognize him at first he he didn't how did he end up recognizing him y'all know how he ended up recognizing who helped him recognize jesus i'll give you a hint who helped you recognize jesus god the holy spirit yeah the holy spirit i didn't recognize him until, until the holy spirit showed me who he was you know, and and so Holy Spirit revealed there was nothing special about Christ. And you can go back and read uh, Luke's account, Matthew's account, Mark's and, and John's account and, and get all those facts in there. And then Jesus comes and he's like, oh, there he is, the Messiah, the guy I've been preaching about, the guy. And, and in fact, this was probably the only encounter they were going to have because John's ministry only lasted about six more months. And then what happened to John? Y'all know what happened to John? Yeah, John, John, was he scared to preach to anybody? He didn't even care if the king was doing something wrong. What did he do? He told the king, dude, that's wrong. It, because as soon as he left his body, where was he going to be? In heaven. 
dude, that's a promotion as far as I see, all right? Uh, and, and, and so, so yeah, he told the king, man, hey, this is wrong, blah, 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 got his head cut off six months. So they probably, this is their only encounter they had. And so when he encounters Jesus coming out to get baptized, all right, it's for repentance, saying everything you know about God is wrong. You see, if, if that's what you were doing, you were baptizing people and, and, tell, and they were admitting everything they knew about God was wrong. If Jesus were to come and get baptized from you, Mac, what would you say? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, if you're uh, literally, did Jesus need to get baptized? Did he need to repent of anything? Did Jesus need to repent and say, man, everything I know about God is wrong? <laughs> what, what about that one? Did it, was everything Jesus knew about God wrong? No, he was God. So why did he get baptized? In Mark, in Ma, I'm sorry, in Matthew, it tells us exactly why he got baptized. He got baptized to fulfill all righteousness. You know what righteousness is? Righteousness is what's, who says is right? God. What God says is right. That's righteousness. So if God says this is right, this is what the right people do, what the righteous people do. And if you're going to fulfill all righteousness, you do what the righteous people are going to do. Jesus participated in a lot of things that he didn't really need to participate in personally, but he needed to because he was there to fulfill all righteous. He lived a righteous life so that he could take your unrighteous life, you sorry dog. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> you were the good, you were the bad student, right? The bad student. No. But literally, how many of y'all know you're a sorry dog? He took he lived a righteous, perfect life so he could take your... Sue, you already told us how sorry you were, right? And, and, and he, so he could take your life and apply it to him, take your life and give you his. He had to give you something you didn't have. He did everything righteous. So he got baptized because God said that John, it was commanded in Luke that John baptized God wanted John, everybody to get baptized, so the people who wanted to be righteous got baptized. So Jesus did it to be righteous. Everything that was required for someone to be righteous in God's eyes, Jesus did, so he could have a righteous life to give you. How many of y'all are grateful he gave you a righteous life? He didn't just come and live on, he didn't just come and was born and immediately killed and buried and raised again because he didn't have a righteous life to give you. He gave all the right things he did. Oh, dude, did you know Jesus had brothers and sisters? Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? Jesus had, you, how many brothers and sisters do you have? You got one brother. Do you always get along with your brother perfectly? No, and if you told me yes, you'd just be lying right now, like in church and everything, but no, you don't. So is it possible to get in a fight with your brother? What if you had two or three brothers? Would it be, impo would it be possible to get in a fight with them? Yeah, yeah. It, and throw sisters in there. Oh my goodness, Ethan, aren't they the worst? Yeah, right now, you don't have to say it. I'll say it for you. I'm just saying, hey, dude, you ever start playing a game, you and your brothers, and you got it, and then the girls come to play, and the girls, what do they do? They make new rules. It's my, wait a minute, it's my game. The girl, no, the rules are this now, right? And, and what do you want to, do you want to do some unrighteous things with them at that point? I'm just saying. Now, you just got girls, right? Is it possible for a bunch of girls, girls just to get in a fight? Yeah, very possible. 
In other words, how likely was it Jesus, even when he was a little kid, how likely was it he was going to get in a fight and get in trouble with his brothers and sisters? Is that a possibility? How hard? I mean, literally, think about this. I dare y'all to try to go one day, one day without getting in a fight with your brothers and sisters. Do you think you can do that? How about you adults that even talk to them on the phone or whatever? One day! Husbands and wives, one day! How possible? How po- Dude, I have husbands and wife. Oh, we never fight. And I'm like, you never live with each other. <laughs> you never spend time together because God puts opposites together. You want to think about this righteousness. That's what I want to drive home. There is a, he has a righteous life. That means during snowbird season in Nazareth, Without traffic lights, they were all supposed to just obey the, the circles and four-way stops, man. And, and, and during Passover, when people were traveling through, oh my goodness, how hard would it have been to get in a fight with some tourist, sober tourist in Nazareth, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, think about the righteous life that he lived. How many of y'all have blown that righteous life? Many times, even today, over and over And so think about, he didn't do that. He was 100% God, but he is 100% man. And we're going to see in a minute that his man nature, his human nature was not supernatural. He had to make decisions just like you and I, but he had to rely upon God, the Father and the Holy Spirit to empower him to do it. Hey, so who do you think you guys have to rely on? God, make a deal with your parents. Say, all right, tell you what. We need some motivation here. We're going to really try hard not to get in a fight for a whole day. Would that not be awesome? In this year house, Alan and Keone, would that not be awesome if there was no one, not a fight for one day? Yeah, that'd be awesome, right? Your house? And again, I'm not saying they're scrapping, beating the mess out of each other all the time. There's a reason girls wear buns on their head. No, I'm just saying, but, but literally, try one day to avoid conflict. I dare you. Kurt, tomorrow at work. How possible is conflict at work tomorrow? You're expecting it, right? Yeah. Try one day to go a day without and understand his righteousness. Now, all the people were baptized. And when Jesus also had been baptized, look what it says. Luke says he was doing. He was doing what, y'all? Pray. What was he doing? Praying. Why? Why in the world would he need to pray? Because he's fully human. He came as a human and he surrendered the right to do supernatural things to God the Father. So he's got this human body, but he is fully God. And he's got the Holy Spirit who is God, who is mediating between him. And so there's God the Father saying, okay, Holy Spirit, go empower Jesus to do this. Go empower Jesus. Let Jesus know to do this. And everything God lets you know that you're supposed to do, He empowers you with, right? And where does the power come from? I'll give you a hint. Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will give you what? Power to be a witness here, there, and everywhere. To be His poster child. And so when you look at Christ, yes, He was 100% man. And He had to avoid fights with His sisters and His brothers. And even his mom and dad. Because did Jesus know more than his mom and dad? I mean, what's it like? Uh, what is it like when you know more than your mom and dad? I mean, isn't that really a hard thing? How many of y'all like think you know more than your mom and dad sometimes, right? 
Emily, raise your hand. How hard is it when you think you know more than your mom and dad? Not, not think. I'm putting words in her mouth. When you absolutely know you know more than your mom and dad, you know? How hard is it to submit and obey when you know that you are the, a, a superior person here and they just don't get it, right? But you, in your godlikeness, in spite of our humble, you know, Beverly Hillbillyism, you know, you, <laughs> you, you do submit to your parents, right? In all that. How hard is it to submit when you think you know more than your parents? Is there ever a time where you think you might know more than your parents? Who would admit to that? Your mom's behind you, you smack you in the head, or later she can do it. But do you ever think you know more than your, your mom? Yeah, sometimes. That means yes. <laughs> All right. We're not asking frequency. We're just asking if it happens. Yeah. Man. So Jesus, again, in that. Do you think he knew more than his mom and dad? Yeah, absolutely. But he never once sinned as a human being. Why? Because he was in constant contact with who? God the Father. Was there ever a time in his life when he was not in full, constant contact with God the Father? One time when he was on the cross between noon and three o'clock when God the Father laid, according to Isaiah, the Hebrew word means he slammed on him all of your sins, your sins, your sins, my sins, all of the sins of the world he slammed on him. And, in the, and he cried out, my God, my God, instead of Abba Father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time he'd ever in eternity been separated from God the Father. That's why he prayed. So if you want to stay tight to God the Father, what do you think you need to do? Pray. How often do you need to pray? Yeah, more than you do. <laughs> How many of y'all are like, oh, God, I got this one. <laughs> God, I got that one. Yeah. And then you realize you don't got that one, right? Dude, does God get tired of hearing you pray, Brandon? Does he go, oh, there's Brandon again. He's probably going to ask me the same thing he asked me just a minute ago. Oh, when's his doofus going to get it? And I'm, I'm just talking, that's how what he says to me, right? But yeah, is that what he says? No. No, he's like, it's Brandon. Yes, it's Brandon. He loves it every time you come to pray. When Jesus would pray, man, as a human, he would pray. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit, just like he says in Romans, is taking, he's taking our prayers back and forth in there. And he's, he's given us the answers and given us the power to do whatever God wants. And did Jesus ever sin as a little kid? Did he ever sin as a big kid? Did he ever sin as an adult? And that Hebrews says he was tempted in every way like us, but he never sinned. You know why? Because he was in constant contact with God Almighty through prayer. Man, I think last time you were here with babies, we were talking about that. We we're talking about the whole umbilical cord thing, right? Now that baby's out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you were in utero last time, right? Yeah. I don't always preach on umbilical cords. I just want you to know that. But, but that's the way I see prayer, dude. How often does that baby need that umbilical cord? All the time. And again, I want you to notice this. Luke includes this. Matthew, Mark, and John, they don't include this fact, but you're going to see that Luke is trying to show people who the perfect son of God is, the perfect human. And one of the things the perfect human needs is to be in contact with a perfect God. And what is it that we have, guys, that we can be in constant contact with a perfect God with? Prayer. 
Yeah, does that mean you have to get on your knees and you have to, you know? No, dude, as you're going, as you're walking, as you're driving, and please don't close your eyes when you pray when you're driving, amen? <laughs> now, JT today, later in the Super Bowl game, I'm not, I don't have to give prophecy, but if y'all are down to the Chiefs because the referees made a bunch of bad calls, I'm not predicting anything. I'm just saying, oh, you're going to be throwing up some words, some prayer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear God, let Jalen throw a touchdown pass. Oh, dear God, let, you know. Uh, but pray. You know what? Does God really care what you pray about? No, there's things he ain't going to answer, you know, things that are unscriptural. But he wants you to pray. He wants you in constant contact. Don't miss this. This only version that tells us when Jesus had been baptized, he was doing what, y'all? Praying. Praying. I don't think we do enough praying. Man, he, it's what? It's free. That's what Milton said. Yeah, I don't get it why people don't do it. It's free. Let him determine whether he's going to answer it or not. Whether it's script. It's starting in that supplication that him and you have the conversation. And if you're praying about something that's really dumb, y'all, and he's like, no, that ain't really what, you know, he can change your thoughts, change your eye. He'll change you. But who better to have a conversation with to figure out what's right? You ever feel what's wrong? He wants you to pray about that. And he's got to change you from the inside out. But it's done through prayer. So here it is. Jesus, man, the perfect human being, he's praying after he was baptized. The heavens were opened. So here's God, the father now. God the Father is getting ready to testify and say, hey, I approve of this Jesus. I approve of what he's doing. He, if he scores 100 on this test, which he's going to, I will count it. I, this is what I'm looking for right here. I'm going to count this one, his score as 100. I'm going to count it, and you're going to need it counted for you. But you've got to surrender your score, and he, out of love, is going to take your score to the cross. And he's going to get beat beyond recognition. He's going to shed his blood. He's going to take your score so you can have his. The heavens were open. Listen to this. And the Holy Spirit, there's the mediator between God the man, Jesus Christ as man and Jesus Christ as God. And right now, let me just throw this out. You cannot read this verse without believing there is a trinity. Amen? There is a trinity. And you know what? Here's what's happening. I'm just going to go on this for just a little bit, and it's happening in so many dimensions right now. You be careful, because the devil is wise as a serpent, man. He's, he's, his name's Deceiver. And, and, and in this, at the end, when Christ comes back, there will be, under the Antichrist, there will be a one-world government. There will be a one world government. Do you see any world leaders aiming in that direction? Yeah, it, they could pull the trigger anytime they want. All right, I'm not going to go into the whole thing about China. And what, they could pull the trigger. Dude, they just floated a bolt. Anyways, we're not even going to talk about all that. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. No, anyways, we're going to talk about this out in our next paddleboard trip, Steve, the whole balloon thing. Just, I, I didn't even pay attention. I was in Nebraska. And 
Yeah, anyways, bottom line, there's going to be a one world government. The Bible says there's going to be a one world government. And the more we see evidence of that, the more our redemption draws nigh and we're out of here. Anybody excited about that? Yeah, a one world government. I'm not freaking out. Oh, no, man, America's going down. Dude, America's gone down. That's not it's about a one world government. It's happening. I love America, God, guns, guts, glory, all that. I'm there. But dude, this ain't my home. This is not where I find my satisfaction. This is not it. I'm, more, I'm so grateful I live here rather than any other country that God has me here. I can preach this gospel. We ain't even cut off YouTube yet like we were during quarantine. Amen? <laughs> Every time we talk about any of this, they cut us off. But man, there's going to be a one world government. There's going to be a one world economy. Dude, are there, Andy, you're in the banking industry. Is there anybody lobbying for a one-world economy? Come on, man. Dude, anybody. You ain't got to be a genius. There it is. But there's going to be a one-world religion. That's the one a lot of people have a hard time with. How are you going to do Islam? How are you going to do Christianity? How, you know what you're going to do? You're going to water them all down. And in order to get Christianity, so-called Christianity, to be a part of this one-world religion is you gotta take christ out the biblical christ out and you turn him into some other kind of christ you gotta take out the blood you gotta take out the exclusivity you gotta take out the fact that christ is god i say that and some of y'all are like man jesus is god and and, and right now we're even like going duh there's a day there's already a day coming there's a day in many circles right now where that's not a does statement. It's fighting words. And it's going to become more and more and more evident as time. In order to have a one world government, you've got to emask, you've got to make Christ impotent. I can't even think. You've got to negate him. If you can turn him into a man and negate his deity, and his main priority for being here, which is as our Savior. If you can bring up Christ and Jesus and, woo, here's Jesus, 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 and you don't tell them he's our Savior, and people need to be saved. Man, and if other people spend tons of money to do that, make sure you don't miss the opportunity to tell them that Jesus they're talking about on TV, that Jesus in that movie, that Jesus in that series, that Jesus is God. And he's a savior. Because you know what they want to do? They're going to reduce him down to nothing but a human being. A good human being. Like Buddha, like Confucius, like anyone else. You can reduce him to a human being, dude. Now you can have your one world government. You cannot miss the main point of Christ. And it, you know what? We're wise as serpents and harmless as doves we're told to be. So if the world won't spend a ton of money telling us how great Jesus is as a human, do not miss it as your cue to tell him how great he is as a Savior. Amen? He's our Savior first and foremost. Yeah, use what's being out there, but make sure everybody knows who he is. He is God. He is God Almighty. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, like a dove. It doesn't mean it was a dove. It was just like, man, Jesus saw it. Uh, the people saw it. Uh, John the Baptist saw it. You look at all the different you know, versions of it. It was evident that God was confirming Christ's ministry 
and saying, I approve and I empower this ministry. This is of me. And so the Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Dude, who do you think it was if there was a voice from heaven? What do you think it sounded like? Can you give us your God voice? You don't want to do it. You want to use a microphone? (laughs) I don't even know. In Revelation, it sounds like thunder. But the fact is, is a voice came from heaven to confirm Christ's ministry so that you could know that what I'm telling you about him scoring 100 on the test and God accepting it, this is God saying, Jesus scores 100 and he's going to take your score and you can have his. And you can believe that. You can take it to the bank. You have no doubt about it. This is God confirming that. So he says, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. And look what he says. You, talking to Christ, are my beloved son. You look at that in the original language, in the original context, it means you are God. We look at it in the English, oh, you're my son, oh, you have some attributes, you know, oh, the apple don't fall from the tree, you know, Keone, look, Keone, he's, he's, he looks just like his parents and maybe a little like his granddad, you know, circle of life, right? You know, anyways, but that's not what this means. There was no doubt about it. The Bible all over the place speaks that Jesus is God. They didn't create, they didn't crucify him for being a good man. They crucified him for being who? Blasphemy. What more do recognize? What more do we need to hear? He said he's God. That's what they crucified him for, for being God. And you mark my words. Again, I'm going to throw this out. Does the Mormon church believe that Jesus is God? Absolutely not. Does the Mormon church have a hey, you know the Mormon church, you live there, right? Do they have a lot of money? And do they promote Jesus? Not the biblical Jesus. They will promote his humanity, his humanity, his humanity, his humanity. And we look at it and we say, oh, beautiful, they love Jesus. But it's only half of Jesus, man. It's only half of Jesus. Now again, be smart, take it. When it's out there, take it and make sure you give people the rest of the story. Give them the rest of it. You know? Chris and Kevin, y'all are a team, right? Like, like peas and carrots, right? You know, peas and carrots. What if, what if all anybody ever did was talk about Chris and Kevin? Would it be the whole story? No, you're a pretty important part of that story, right? You're missing something there. And the most important, I'm not saying you're more important than her, but I'm just saying the most important part of Jesus is God. That is what you are going to see over and over and over again in the Scripture. Jesus is God. So when the world takes it, understand what they're doing with it, but don't let them win. Take it and use it as a springboard to make sure everybody knows what a great Savior He is. Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. And with you I am well, what? Pleased. I am well pleased. I am thoroughly satisfied. You understand before there was anybody, way back here in eternity, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were here. And they were in perfect unity. Right? Kurt and Claudia, you ever been just, man, just hanging out of the house and you're in perfect unity? Yeah, I mean, it might be rare, but I'm just saying you're in perfect unity. There it is. If you had your druthers, would you bring a whole bunch of people into the system? 
to, no, I'm digging my perfect, my perfect unity right here. This is how much God loved you. He knew everything that would happen. But again, they had a plan. Their plan was, we're going to create man. Yes, we know man. We're going to give him a choice to either follow us and be blessed or to not follow us and mess everything up by bad decisions. We're going to give him that choice. And yes, we know they're going to mess things up. But Jesus got the privilege. It wasn't he drew the short straw in heaven. Okay, who's going to go down and be the sacrifice? Uh, oh, you got there. Woo, glad I didn't get it. That's not how it worked. Jesus got the privilege to show us God's love. That God had to punish wrath, but he would take it for us. And it was always part of the plan that, that, that man would sin and that there would be a redeemer. What did the first thing that Adam, what did Adam and Eve do when they realized they were naked? What'd they do? Yeah, they hid. Then what'd they do? Dude, they, built, they made themselves some clothes, fig leaves, which are kind of scratchy, dude. They were just kind of scratch. They were scraping, looking for something, right? Oh, man. And it wasn't even comfortable. And when they saw God and God had the whole question with them, did God say, oh, I like your fig leaves? Is that what he said? Whoa, I like your creativity. Way to use the brain I gave you. No, he said, get those fig leaves off. And what did he do to cover them? He killed an innocent animal that didn't do anything. There was a picture of Christ. He skinned it, and while the skin was still bloody and warm, he put it on them so they would know there's a penalty, there's a cost for sin. Anywhere you look in the Bible, you cut the Bible anywhere, and it bleeds. It's all been part of God's plan, and it was Jesus' privilege. The Bible even tells us that in the New Testament, to be the one to basically take our test score and give us his. So he said, man, he left the rags, uh, the, the, the riches of heaven, and put on the rags of humanity. And he'd been sort of tempted up to the first 30 years of life, right? Hey, hey, Tiny, how old are you, man? 20? Dude, you've been tempted in those 20 years? Yeah, yeah. Sam, you've been tempted in them 20 years? How old are you, Sam? Who? Oh, robbing the cradle there. See, all right, I got you, man. All right. 22. In less than 30 years, how many times y'all been tempted, man? Yeah, he had been tempted, but he never sinned. He's starting his ministry at 30 years of age. He's got to have a righteous life to impute to us. You understand when you give your life to Christ, when God looks at you, whose life does he see? Yours or Christ's? Aren't you glad? <laughs> and we'll get into the other part real super quick. I don't know if we'll do that today. But voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am pleased. Why am I pleased? Because, dude, <laughs> you're, you're following the plan we created from the beginning of time. And you know what's going to happen later, guys? Hey, you know what's going to happen later? Here we are, all the people, when he's done redeeming everyone, he's got all these messed up people that he's going to then, at the end, what do you really, right now you don't look like Christ, right? But you're going to. At the end, you look like Christ. You are perfect. Can you look at him and believe that he's going to be perfect one day? Perfect. Gary's going to be perfect. He's come a long way, but he ain't quite perfect, is he? No, almost. All right, good, good answer right before Valentine's Day. That'd be a beautiful Valentine, Neil. Gary, you are almost perfect. <laughs> be my Valentine, <laughs> right? But <laughs> one day, 
So God took a bunch of messed up people, gave them to Jesus, according to John 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 in there, gave them to Jesus, all messed up. Jesus, is perfect. he gave them the opportunity to start becoming perfect by saving them. And then now we go through the sanctification process, sorry, first down the new tongue, sanctification process of becoming perfect. And wherever we are at the end, he makes us perfect. And then, and, and, and then at the end, this big box of perfect people, what does Jesus then do with it? He gives it back to God. And dude, how many of y'all are in that box? You're in that box. Brandon, can you imagine what it's going to look like when God, you're in that box, dude, and, and, and God opens up the box. Can you imagine his face or whatever we're going to see? He's going to be stoked. That's our future right there. He said, man, you can trust Christ. That's my beloved son. I am well pleased. I'm going to hit this super quick. I'm not even going to preach on the whole thing. Just you got to hear this in real quick. God is continually pleased with us. So he's pleased with Christ. That's what the baptism is about. He's pleased with Christ because he's doing everything righteous. He already knows he's going to fulfill the righteous. He's going to go through with the plan. And so God is continually pleased with Christ. But God is continually pleased with us. How many of y'all feel like God's not pleased with you sometimes? Julie, you ever feel like God's not pleased with you? Oh, dude, I let him down again. You know what? Letting him down is doing something he never expected you to do. And if he knows everything, can you ever do anything that he didn't expect you to do? Before he even saved you, he knew you were going to do that. So sometimes it's often us being more disappointed with ourselves. What God wants us to do is pick it up and become more like him. So look at this. He's continually pleased with us only if we are eternally in Christ. Super quick, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the what? Yeah. He, he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we don't regard him anymore. In other words, the flesh really isn't that big a deal. That's not our big priority anymore. We don't, record, we don't look at people by human standards anymore. That's not the main point. That's what the scripture is saying. So don't focus on, yeah, you, we can see how we're supposed to act in his life, but the fact that he had that perfect life, he imputes that to us. Man, more important than that is he's God, and he imputed it to us. Not that he lived that perfect life and we're striving to at this point. That's, that's something different. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So, look, there's something more important than the flesh. That's legalism. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. Oh, God would want me to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. You know what you got to do? You got to be born again. You got to walk in the spirit in a relationship with him and listen to what he says. And he says, what do you want me to do now, God? And you do it. What do you want me to do now, God? And you do it. You walk in the spirit and you cannot fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what he tells us. Satan wants us to get it backwards. He wants us to see the flesh, and he wants us to try to mimic God in the flesh by doing the things of the flesh. You got, if you walk in the Spirit, you just walk and do what he wants you to do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're brand new. And look what he says. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when he looks at you, who's, are you saved? Have you given your life to Christ? You sure? Why are you looking at your mom, man? <laughs> All right, good, 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 good. Awesome, man. 
You want your mom to make sure you heard the right words, right? Because you weren't acting like it last night with your sisters. Is that what it was? No, I'm messing with you. But yeah, so, so God took your test score. Christ took your test score. And whose test score you got? Jesus' perfect test score. So that's what it means when it says you're a new creation. You have Christ's perfection now. The old test score is gone. Chuck, are you glad the old test score doesn't count anymore? It's gone. Goodbye. Burn it. Get rid of it. He nailed it to the cross. Never to be brought up again. You got his test score. Let's act like it. We got his test score now. We, the old has passed away. It's gone. Dude, you got a new test score. And it's perfect. And that's what God's going to see in the end. And that 100, yes, that's right. Mm. And, and that's what you're going to look like in the end. Well, like you're like, well, what about right now? Well, check this out. The old test scores passed away. Behold, the new one has come. Look at this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God gave you a new test score so that you can tell other people how to get a new test score. You know some people that are kind of failing? You know, they could use some help on their test scores, the way they act in life. You know some people like that? Well, you can tell them where you got your test score from. And you can invite them to Christ to get the same test score that you got in that. We have a ministry of reconciliation. So how does he do this? First, it's with salvation, but it's through this process called sanctification. How many of y'all got tests from God? Anybody have tests from God on a regular basis? Like right now, you're like, my rear end is asleep and I got to act like I'm paying attention. I promise five more minutes. Let me have this. There's tests that we get all the time from God, Right? God does a testing, the devil does a tempting, we do the trusting. And so God's given us tests, and does he get glory if he gives us a test that we can pass? Sometimes he gives us a test we can pass on our own, you know, but he gets glory. What if he gives you, Sean, what if he gives you a really, really hard test that like nobody thinks you can pass, and you actually pass it, who gets the glory? So here's what we do. God often, you know, when people say, oh, God doesn't give us anything we can't handle, keep going. He doesn't give us anything we can't handle in his strength. Because that's why he gets how he gets the glory. So here you are, you're taking a test. God's giving you the, Jeff, got any tests in your life, man? All the time, man. You live with April, right? Test. And you're, yeah, I'm just saying, you got a test. And, and it's a hard test, an impossible test. So here you are taking the test, and God's expecting you to get a what? What's, what's it that the world's going to be impressed with? A hundred. This is a hard test. That's a lot of pressure. But no, it's not. Because guess where the teacher is? Right behind you. The teacher's standing right behind you. So here you are. Skylar, wouldn't, wouldn't this be great to be able to do on your test at LSU? Have the teacher professor right there behind you, and you're like, okay, question one. You look at it and say, hey, what's the answer to this? And the teacher says, oh, it's A. And then what should you write down? A. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot said right there. Number one, in our test with God, he gives us the test and he wants us to score 100, right? And, but first thing you got to do, if you have the teacher behind you, Sam, is to do what? Ask him. How many of y'all take the test and never ask the teacher the question because you're too prideful or you're too lazy? You just basically, oh, I'll write something down. So number one, ask the teacher the answer. How many of y'all ever get impatient because he hasn't given you the answer fast enough? Any of y'all ever do that? Come on, man. 
Oh, he's not answering me. You know what? When do you write the answer down, y'all? When do you write it down? When he gives it to you. And if he didn't give it to you yet, it's not time for you to have the answer. So man, hey, what's the answer to question one? That's my version of Jeopardy, right? (laughs) What is, you know, B? You know, you got to wait. And that's where we get impatient with our self-imposed deadlines. We don't wait for the answer. We're like, I got to answer this. I got to move on. I got a big test ahead of me. I got 20 more questions. I got, do you think God doesn't know that? God knows how big the test. You're hit. You belong to him now. And so you wait. And maybe ask him again, hey, God, did you hear me? <laughs> how many of y'all keep checking on those things you gave to God? You know what I'm saying? All right, God. And, and finally, he says, the answer is A. He tells the answer. What are our options then? We should write down what, Skylar? But how many of you question A as the answer from God? I don't really like A. <laughs> I kind of like a combination of B, C, and D. Let me make the smorgasbord answer and put it together and then see if you approve it, God. Oh, come on. I know some of y'all do that, not just me, right? No, it's like he says, A, don't find... It's not A. Well, I don't care if it's A. I'm putting down B. That's just plain stubborn right there. Aren't you glad you're not stubborn? You're not, are you? <laughs> yeah. So A, ask him the question. Ask him what the answer is. B, wait for him to tell you what the answer is. C, write down the answer he tells you. And when do you write it down? When he tells you. And you will get a hundred on all your tests, I promise. But do you see where the problems are in there? Try to overcome those problems. And then, guess what? World's going to say, which one of you guys like have a tough time with school? Any of y'all have a tougher time? Ethan, you do? So some, your little brother, somebody like, or your sister, you, you're this really smart sister. Well, how did Ethan score so good on that test? And it's like, oh, the teacher gave me the answer. And what are they going to say? That's not fair. And you say, exactly. I don't want what's fair. <laughs> but you know what? You can have the same thing. Let me tell you who my teacher is. Let me introduce you to my teacher. My teacher will give you the answers too. In fact, we can sit next to each other and take the tests and write down the answers together. We can do this in community. But that's how we invite people to Christ. That's what it means when he says, this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to him. You know you need to be saved from Labani? You need to be saved from God. It's God's wrath that you needed to be saved from, and he took the wrath so he could save you from his own wrath, but yet still punish his sin. He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us a ministry of reconciliation to reconcile others. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. So again, he left us here to basically share with them who our team, who our, who our coach, our, our teacher is. Verse 20, almost done here. Therefore, we are what? What's the word here? Ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. That's our new creation. We're an ambassador. We re- it, does an ambassador go to other countries and put them in a holy headlock and capture them and make them part of their country? No. What does an ambassador do? He goes and represents his kingdom 
That's all your job is, is to represent the kingdom you belong to. And then when other people say, hey, can I join your kingdom? Ask this guy and he'll let you. You introduce him. But you have to represent the kingdom in all the tests that he puts you through. At the tests that he wants to give you all the answers to. But you got to wait for him. And you got to not argue with him. And you do what he, write down what he says to you. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making an, his appeal to the world through who? Through us. We implore you. Wait, what's the word implore mean? I beg you. Oh, I beg you, please. It's anything. Just do this. That's what implore means. That's what we, it's that important. I saw something recently that said, you know, that you can't love somebody without caring where they're going to spend eternity. Because you're in eternity a lot longer than you're here. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Look at this last verse. This is the one that makes our point. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So Christ, he didn't know any sin. He didn't have any sin. He didn't have any punishment to be sin. As a human being, he didn't have any. And yet he says, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So what it did, he made, he gave Christ our sin and he gave us Christ's righteousness. So when you talk about being a king and a queen, Charlie, we need to start acting like it. We, our unrighteousness is gone. We have the righteousness of Christ. We know what our predestination is to be like Christ. We know what it's going to look like in the future. We know all of that. So let's stay on that right track, knowing that our purpose is to be an ambassador for him. We represent the kingdom in everything we do. So in closing this, God is continually pleased with Christ. That was what he showed at the baptism. This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. When did he say that again? How about the end of his ministry in the transgression, in the transgression, the transfiguration? He said that. He's pleased. Go read Philippians chapter 2, and he's very pleased. <laughs> you know, you see through the Bible, so you can count on what Christ did. God says what Christ did, you can count on to cover you. He took your unrighteousness, he took your test score and gave you his, which means he had all the consequences of that. But he overcame them where we couldn't. And now we are looked at like him. So God's continually pleased with Christ. And he's continually pleased with us only if you're eternally in Christ. Only if you at some point in your life realize I'm a sinner and God has provided a way for my sins to be covered and paid for. And it's through what Christ did. Anything else is fallacy. Anything else is wrong. Anything else is monopoly money. When the game's over, the money's worth nothing. The only thing that's going to be worth anything is what Christ did. If you've given your life to Christ, you know that you've been covered. And, he, and you're in Him. So regardless of your behavior, you're His kid now. And He, got, he can spank you. He can correct you. He can, he can get you straightened up on the right path. But eternally, you're set. You're in Him, and He's continually pleased with you. He's not angry with you. Not upset with you. In fact, He has big hopes for you. In every situation, he wants you to become more like him. So God's continually pleased with Christ. He's continually pleased with us if we are eternally in Christ. If you're not, you're not.
But if you have the desire to surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Him, go for it. That's the only way you get in Christ. Let's bow. Father, thanks for giving us Your Word. Father, um, pray Your Holy Spirit, as promised, will take it and speak to each heart. Father, for the heart that is beating themselves up because of the unrighteousness in their life, Father, help them settle. Help them settle the fact that they're saved. And if they are saved, Father, help give them assurance of that and help them um, know that, that Christ gave them His test score and took theirs. And eternally they're set. Help them see themselves as an ambassador, that their job is to do nothing but re represent this kingdom. Father, if there's someone that even thinks they're saved, but they're not, Father, I pray that you would dig deep down in their heart and you would rescue them from themselves, from their own head, from their own theological system. Rescue them and let them know that they know that they know that they're saved because they're giving their life to you. That's all it takes. Give them a desire. They can't refuse to do that. They take this word and apply it however you'd like, Father. And help us to be worthy ambassadors. Help us to realize you are God. And um, you did it all for us. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.